Well, hello, hello to all my mystery and murder fans and subscribers out there. I've got good news because we've been gone for a while, but I am back with a new season of Mystery and Murder, where I take a deep dive into some of the most notorious mysteries and murders to sweep the news. Now, some of these we've covered on Dr. Phil, and others we've just worked behind the scenes. Sometimes you're gonna hear from people that are actually involved in these dramas, and sometimes I'm just going to pull back the curtain on what was really going on behind the scenes. And when I say pull back the curtain, what I'm talking about is I look at these things a lot different than most people. I spend a lot of my time hearing what isn't said. I spend a lot of my time focused on what people are saying to me with their bodies, what they're saying to me when their lips aren't moving, what they're saying to me with the patterns of their behavior. Uh, how they're representing themselves, what they're omitting, what I know from police reports and all versus what they said the first time they told the story, the second time they told the story, how they told it, the order in which they told it. A lot of things that I've learned over the years, trained as a forensic psychologist that helped get to the truth. I've spent a lot of my career focused on deception detection, and that's only one part of what's important. The second part is getting to the truth. One thing is finding out when somebody's lying. The second thing is finding out, okay, then what is the truth? And I'm going to be bringing that to the analysis of these stories. Now, on this season of Mystery and Murder, we're going to be bringing you cases with so many shocking twists and turns that we're issuing a don't Google warning. Just listen as we unfold the case here. On this season of Mystery and Murder, we bring you a story so wild you couldn't make it up if you tried. Or could you? This is Dr. Phil diving deep on the case of Sherry Papini. You're listening to Supermom Missing. My Bessie Stormburst low top and weekend sneakers empower my summer adventures. Now, I went to New York last week because I had to do a press tour, and I was prepared to embrace the summer season to its fullest, no matter what it threw my way weather-wise. And I'd been going from interview to interview, like seriously, 15, 20 during the day, and then I went to a dinner with clients. I knew that in the middle of that dinner, I had to do one more really key interview. And in order to do it, I had to leave the middle of that dinner and that noisy restaurant for about 10 or 15 minutes. And sure enough, I got to the door to step outside where it was quiet, and it was raining cats and dogs. But I had on my Vessi Stormburst, so I was able to go through all of that water on the sidewalk, across the street, to get into my car so I could do the interview in the quiet. You want to stay prepared. Join us now and let us make this summer one for the books. Seize the sun-kissed days and thrilling escapades at Vessi.com mystery for shoes that masterfully combine waterproof protection with urban elegance. 
Start your journey with Vessi and get an automatic 15% off your first order at checkout. Sherry Papini. So what happened here? Well, I can tell you it was the type of case that immediately captures the nation's attention. Why? Well, we've got a young mother that vanished during a morning jog near her California home. Now, sadly, this happens somewhat frequently. We know that. I'll bet you within the last month or two, we've seen three or four of these situations and circumstances where a young mom disappears. Her cell phone's at home. Her keys are at home. Everything's there. She just goes missing. These don't usually turn out terribly well. You know that, and I know that. Now, Sherry vanished on November 2nd of 2019. It looked like she left her house sometime in the afternoon to go for a jog in her neighborhood. This is not out of character for her. You know, I mentioned we look at patterns. And this is her pattern. She's a jogger. That's part of the reason she's in such good shape and maybe has the energy to have all these perfect-looking pictures. This is just something she did. The two kids, age two and four, are at daycare. Now, she lives up near Redding, California, which is north. There's a tiny town there called Mountain Gate in Shasta County. So November 2nd, 5.51 p.m., Sherry's husband, Keith, comes home from work. Now, he's surprised that both she and the kids are not home. So he calls her. No answer. He calls the kids' daycare to see what time she picked them up. She usually gets there between 4.30 and 4.45, very predictably, by the way. But they say she hasn't come yet. Now, for him, that's a huge red flag because he knows her pattern. He knows she's very predictable. He knows she's very buttoned up. So he uses his Find My iPhone app to locate Sherry's phone and sees it's located about a mile from their house. That's not where daycare is. It's at the intersection of Sunrise Drive and Old Oregon Trail. Now, he knows that area. She often jogs there. So he heads over, obviously hoping that she's there with her phone, maybe taking a rest, just chilling out for a minute. Instead, he finds the phone and earbuds, along with a few strands of blonde hair, but no sign of his wife, Sherry. Now, take a pause for a minute and imagine your significant other isn't where they say they are and they're not where their phone is, which is usually in their hand or their pocket. And you find it just by the side of the road. That's out of pattern. Your heart's going to go up in your throat. Because you know your wife and you know she's not going to just be running along the side of the road and just pitch her phone down and just keep running. This is a red flag and it hits you hard. Now, I want to paint you a picture of this area. I am going to let you Google this 
I said, don't be Googling around, but you can go to Google Maps and look this up if it helps you get the picture in your mind. This is one of those long country roads. It's a two-lane highway with nothing but pavement, trees, grass, and fields as far as you can see. There are houses, but they seem like they're set way back on long driveways, far apart from each other and far back from the road. You're not likely to encounter anybody just standing around. Now, there's no shoulder to be running on, no shoulder to just be taking a walk with your dog or your kids. It just looks like that kind of road when you're on a road trip where you can be driving for hours and you might not see another living person or gas station. So when the husband shows up, it's pretty clear when he sees the phone on the side of the road there's nothing else there, and there certainly aren't any witnesses. So if you're picturing a pretty desolate area where there's nothing there but just this phone that sticks out, you got it. This isn't like a jogging trail or a park or anything like that. This is desolate country road. It's a mile away from their house, but it's really kind of their driveway because that's how remote they are. There's nothing else out there. So that should tell you what type of scene we're working with here. It's not exactly teeming with witnesses. Keith is immediately fearful his wife was abducted, which is why he called 911. What else would you think? How else would that phone get there? No witnesses, no sign of her, truly, without a trace, minus a few strands of blonde hair, an iPhone, and earbud were left behind. Now, police later noted the items were neatly placed, which was odd. The phone wasn't dirty. It wasn't scuffed up or broken. It wasn't like it had skidded along the highway. Because I suppose one theory would be it was left on top of the car, so maybe it slid off and skidded along the pavement, but it didn't look that way. It was just there. And there were no signs of blood. Only sign of even maybe a potential struggle were strands of hair. Let's listen to Keith's call to police to report his wife missing. What is your uh, emergency? CHP transfer. Keith is on the line. Hello, can I help Hello? you? Yeah, um, so uh, I just got home from work, and uh, my wife wasn't there, which is unusual, and my kids should have been there by now from, like, daycare. So I was like, oh, maybe she went on a walk. Um, I couldn't find her, so I called the, the daycare to see what time she picked up the kids. The kids were never picked up, so I got freaked out, so I hit, like, the Find My iPhone app thing, and it said that her it showed her phone, like, at our end of our driveway. We don't have really good service. Okay. Um, not the end of our driveway, but the end of our street. So I just drove down there, and I saw her phone with her headphones because she started running again. And it's her, I found her phone, and it's got, like, hair ripped out of it, like, in the headphones. So I'm, like, totally freaking out, thinking, like, somebody, okay, like, what's just your, grabbed her. Okay, what's your address? Ready. What, okay, what's your last name? Yes. Papini, P-A-P-I-N-I. And your first name? Uh, Keith. K-E-I-T-H? Uh, yes. Okay. Did you go pick up your children? 
No, I'm going to call my mom and have her do it. Okay. okay. What's your wife's name? I'm going to, like, knock on every door. Uh, Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I. And same last name? Yes. She white female? Yes. What's her date of birth? Uh, it is uh, June 11th, 1982. Is her vehicle there? Does she not have a vehicle? She has a vehicle that's at the house. Okay, the vehicle yeah, is at the house? She's running. How? Okay. Yes, I'm How? in it right now driving, and I took a picture of her phone on the ground before I picked it up. Okay. How tall is she? 5'3", 5'4". How much does she weigh? 100 pounds. Eye color? Uh, like a bluish blue. Okay, hair color? Blonde. Do you know what she was wearing? Is there no something she always wears? I'm assuming she went running, so okay, probably there's running athletic textbook. Okay, there's not an outfit she always wears or anything like that. she run with a dog or by herself? By herself. Okay. At what time were the kids supposed to? just start running again, and we live in a... When's the last time? When's the last time you heard from her? Uh, she sent me a text asking me if I was coming home for lunch. Uh, what and time was that? Um, uh, uh, well, give me one second. She sent me a text at 10:47 asking me if I was coming home from lunch from work. And I said, sorry, long day. And that was the last. Never spoke to her on the phone, never any other contact. Okay, and what time are the kids supposed to be picked up? Way before 5.30. She usually goes to like 4.45. Okay. 4.30, 4.45. Okay, are you headed back to the house or where are you at right now? I'm at the end of the driveway where, uh, I'm at the Old Oregon Trail and Sunrise where they meet, because that's right where I found her phone on the ground. You're telling me that something happened to her is the way I'm looking at it. There's like, then there was hair like in the headphones. Like it got ripped off of like the ground. Yeah, no, I, und- I understand, I understand. Okay, I'm sorry. I know it's you're okay. trying to keep me calm, but obviously. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of vehicle are you in? I'm in a black Kia Optima. Oh, my God. Okay. And I live, I mean, we live down kind of a sketchy street, so I yeah. definitely, I don't know if I'm allowed to knock on everybody's door, but I will if I'm allowed to do that. Well, let's just have the officers contact you so they can start, you know, processing everything, figure out what's going on, okay? And I understand you're freaking out a little bit. We want to we want to make sure we get your kids, make sure they're okay. Obviously, yeah, I'm gonna call my mom start, and have her. Yeah, they better start getting this. Your phone number. Yes. Do you want me to wait right here for somebody? If, if you want to head back to your residence, so they can contact you there, and in case she does return. Okay. Okay. We'll have them contact okay. you at your residence. Call us back if anything changes. All right. All right, so they're going to call in the number you just took down the 35 They'll probably call you when they're on their way, and they're going to come out in person. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. 
stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Now, you're probably thinking that you can't file a missing persons report for 48 hours or something like that, but it's really kind of a myth. You can certainly alert police if there are suspicious circumstances and someone's missing, and depending on their manpower and your circumstance, you can get the ball rolling, even if unofficially. So he did the right thing in making the phone call. Now, investigators spend days combing the woods and the surrounding area. I mean, they really responded, but they turned up no clues. Keith pleads for her return. He doesn't know who he's talking to, of course, but he's pleading for her return. He is certain she was taken and doesn't even entertain that she ran away and says she would never leave him and never in a million years would she leave the kids. The Shasta County Sheriff's Office dedicates nearly all of its investigators to the case, as well as some Reading Police Department detectives. They worked all weekend using their entire major crime unit. Nothing. Not a clue. Nothing out of the ordinary. Not even anything that would point them in a direction. Investigators filed about 20 search warrants looking into local sex offenders, reviewing surveillance videos, gathered from homes and businesses in the area, and combing through mounds of cellular phone and technology data. They did a virtual digital search, boots-on-the-ground search. They did it all. Nothing. No viable leads. This is a huge mystery. No suspect vehicle has been identified. We think we live in a world where everything is on security camera in some way, but not here. Sherry doesn't have any known medical or mental health conditions that would explain her disappearance. She's got no history of depression, no dissociative reactions, no psychosis that anybody knows of. So it's not like she would just kind of go off the rails and disappear. So that's what we have here. She's from a family that call her Supermom. And she fits the profile for what the media sees as just that and as a perfect victim. We know it's a problem. Media, always eager to plaster pictures of white, blonde, blue-eyed, fit mom. Why? Look. Pretty people with problems. Everybody is attracted to that. They see that. They're concerned. They live vicariously through it, and they're drawn to it. And she has the ideal face for a poster that's going to be plastered, smiling, fresh blue eyes, and it gets everybody's attention. So it's media magic, right? This is a newsman's dream. And sure enough, soon that face is everywhere. It's on telephone poles. It's in the town square, signs, national coverage. Good Morning America, 2020, MSNBC, NBC Evening News, Inside Edition, ABC Evening News, The Today Show, 
Daily Mail has it plastered right at the top of their site. CNN, Us Weekly, Fox News, the cover of People Magazine, Sherry Papini right there. Oh, and believe me, even we got in on this story. But it didn't go as planned. I'll tell you about that later. So let's break this down. Let's just back up for a minute and get away from the media madness and focus on who is Sherry. Well, she's 34 years old. She's married to a husband, Keith. Now, by all accounts, they're happily married and have two children. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she actually homeschools her two children. If you look at the family pictures, it's like something you would cut out of a catalog. It's you would see in a McDonald's commercial or somewhere on television. The family just seems absolutely perfect. They just seem eerily put together, matching outfits posed at the pumpkin patch in the fall. American flag coordination with their tops on the 4th of July. Lots of smiling photos. No wrinkles on the clothes. Every hair in place. You know the type of family I'm talking about. They just seem buttoned up, like natural, but at the same time perfect. They're the perfect Instagram family where you say, that mom sure makes it look easy. My kids have sticky hands. They're covered in ice cream. One of them's crying. I can't get them all to look at the camera at the same time. I've got my hair thrown up in a chip clip. This is the kind of family that you love to hate. Like, how do they do that? There is one famous one of her staring into the camera in a perfect white gown with her husband lovingly nuzzling at her neck. You just look at it and go, wow, and secretly go, oh, my God. Of course, we all know pictures don't mean anything, but everything means something to me. And when I looked at those pictures initially, I thought somebody, probably the mom, is going to an awful lot of trouble to create a specific image. Now, a lot of people on Instagram confess that they'll take as many as, with influencers, a thousand pictures before they'll put one up. You heard me right, a thousand pictures. And I'm not suggesting that she had the time to do that, but those pictures look to me like an awful lot of effort went in to creating an image of perfection. And if somebody's working that hard to create an image, I'm wondering what's really the truth. Because I don't know if they're photoshopped or if they took 10 or 15 or even why those images are being put up at all. But clearly, she seems very sensitive to what she's projecting largely to strangers. And people who have a need to be loved by strangers have sensitivities that go beyond what is apparent. I just noticed that those pictures look kind of like the ones you see in the window at 
the photo studios that you go to get portraits done. And I thought, you know, I wonder what it's really like. And wondered why it was so important to create such a perfect image. More on that later. So the question's out there. He's 100% sure she wouldn't run away. She doesn't have any mental illness. She doesn't have any indication of neurological disorders. So how does someone just vanish in broad daylight? Her family felt like they're just going on nothing. So what do investigators do? Well, they do what they always do. They turn their attention to the husband. They turn their attention to Keith. Now, you may be wondering, why is that? Why do they always look at the husband first? And is that just a waste of time, or is it because the husband is the most likely suspect? Well, the truth is, when this kind of thing happens, when a spouse, for no other reason that you can identify, not medically, not psychologically, not socially, just up and disappears, then you have to look at if it wasn't them, then who had opportunity to disappear that person? You have to look for someone that have motive, means, and opportunity. And number one on that list is always the spouse. They're the ones that have access. They're the ones that are most likely to have had motivation. And you say, well, why would you just assume they had motivation? Look, whenever you're in a relationship with someone, everything they say or do is amplified in terms of gravity. If a stranger says something to you or someone down at the grocery store says something to you, eh, yeah, it might bother you in the moment, but you don't have an investment in that person. They say something rude to you, you go, ah, eh, wish they hadn't said that, or it irritates you for five minutes, and then you go on with your day. But if it's somebody that you've invested your life in, 10 years in, 15 years in, you're sharing your space with, your life with, you have an emotional investment in, the gravity goes up for everything they say. So if you're expecting that someone would have an emotional motivation to have a bad reaction to what somebody says or does, you can assume that it's someone that they're emotionally invested in and someone that is emotionally invested in them, and that's going to be their significant other. Now, that's a psychological explanation of why it would be the spouse. The statistical explanation is it's usually the spouse. At least 40% of the time, it is the significant other. So, of course, they have to look at the husband. And if for no other reason than to eliminate him as a suspect, they get his DNA, they do a polygraph test, they do everything they can in terms of establishing alibis or whatever, so he is statistically a good candidate. They have access to him, so they can eliminate him right quick, 
rule him in, rule him out. Keith willingly turns over the family computers, iPads, other items, and answers questions. And as is the case with all couples, he confirms that yes, they do have arguments, disagreements, and in fact had one the night before she disappeared. Not a major blow up, an argument over a messy room, and that that's the level of disagreements that they have. He's not ashamed of it. He's just fully disclosing that, yes, they do have confrontations. He lets them search his property, doesn't require a warrant. He answers questions. He did not ask for an attorney, and he volunteers to take a polygraph. Now, the fact that he's cooperating is a good sign to the police, and it is a good sign in these cases. That doesn't mean he's innocent. Sometimes spouses are arrogant enough to think they can beat the system and that if they'll lean into cooperation with the police, that it looks good and they want to look good. They think they've covered up their tracks. Yeah, I had an uncle in law enforcement. He was a detective, a homicide detective, and had been for decades. And I'll never forget him telling me one time, boy, you commit a crime like this, there's a hundred ways you can screw up. And if you're a genius, you'll think of 90 of them. And boy, you ain't no genius. I'll never forget him saying that to me one time. And these spouses that think they're smart enough to outfox the police by cooperating, it just doesn't ever seem to work out that way. The alternative is to not cooperate, lawyer up, and stonewall. That doesn't look good either. So the only way this works out for the spouse is if, in fact, he is innocent. And we'll find out how that turns out, but he certainly does cooperate with the police. Sure enough, he passes the polygraph test. It indicates a lack of deception when he says he has no idea where she is, had nothing to do with her disappearance. He also has an alibi because it's confirmed he was at work when Sherry went missing. So he's cleared in that regard. Now, that clears him in terms of personal involvement. That doesn't mean he didn't have someone else snatch her, disappear her. But the fact that he has an alibi and he passed the polygraph test certainly lead them to believe they need to look elsewhere. And there was zero physical evidence linking him to her disappearance. Those three things certainly put him on the sidelines and caused them to look elsewhere. If that's true, if those three areas are solid, if Keith didn't do it, then who did? On the next episode, another suspect emerges. 
Detectives discover the perfect mom and wife had been secretly texting an ex-boyfriend. Was Sherry abducted and in danger like they thought, or did she plan to run away with her ex-lover? And why was he an ex? That's next week on Mystery and Murder. Subscribe so you never miss an episode.